0: Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5, in our Bibles this morning. It's good to see you here today. I'm enjoying the spring weather. Um, I got to mow my yard again yesterday, so the grass is growing. And uh, some of us like that, some of us don't. (laughs) But it's good. I love spring, and uh, it was in the 80s this week already, wasn't it? And I like that, too. Uh, some warmth. Uh, a lot of wind. It blew off some of the fascia off the church building. So, who knows? Uh, every time I pull in after a strong wind, I keep looking at the roof to see if it's still there. But all the shingles were there, so we're thankful for that. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We're studying our way through the book of Ephesians. It's a wonderful book, of course, as all of the books of the Bible are. The first three chapters of the book of, the, uh, of Ephesians is all about Uh, God's riches that that he has provided for you and for me. Uh, And the emphasis is sometimes we go through life and we start to feeling sorry for ourselves. We start thinking unbiblically that we don't have what we need for what we're facing. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians makes it very plain that God Almighty has provided for you and for me adequately, in full. He has provisioned us for what he has for you and for me to do. The last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about our walk. In other words, based upon the provision that God has given to us, the things that he supplied us with in the first three chapters, the last three chapters, he says, based upon what I've given you, this is how you can live. And this is how you should live. And so there are some very, very practical Uh, truths that are given in the last three chapters of of the book of Ephesians. There really is an emphasis on walking, uh, and he he touched on that in chapter 4. Look at me at chapter 5 in verse number 1. You remember he told us that we're to follow God as dear children, as beloved children, with the same love that God has for his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He has that love for you and for me, and he says, I want you to follow Me, he wants you to follow, he wants us to follow God. And then in verse number 2, he gave us an illustration. Well, if we're going to follow God, what does that look like? I mean, really, who can follow God? We're told to do it in verse 1, but how? Or what's the illustration? Whose example should we follow? And in verse 2, he tells us, "...to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us." And hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time considering what it meant to walk in love. And we looked at the example of Jesus Christ dying for you and for me, selflessly, sacrificially giving himself for you and for me, so that you and I could be saved, could be forgiven of our sins, uh, could be made the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and we're to walk in love. Every day, one foot in front of the other, in our marriage relationships, in our parenting, in our work relationships, in our church relationships, we're to be preferring one another over ourselves. It's not my way or the highway. It's the Bible way. We're all pursuing that. And we're to walk in love, and it's something beautiful. And now we come to another walk, in the next section here in in Ephesians chapter 5 and he really does command us to walk in the light. Now in this passage in chapter 5 the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God these are not Paul's words they are God's words through Paul to you and to me to the church at Ephesus and he talks to them about some very practical and even controversial things. And they're things that you and I would not just pick up in conversation if we were to meet on the side of the road. We wouldn't talk about these things right off the top of our heads. But they're very, very important. And he talks about walking the light. Do you know that a child of God, you and I, can either walk in the light, we can say yes to the Spirit, yes to the Word of God, and walk in the light, or we can say yes to the flesh, no to the Spirit, and we can walk in darkness. And Paul lays it out for us here that we're to undoubtedly walk in the light. And all of this, walking in love and walking in the light, comes under this idea of follow God. Follow God. I think it was, it's been some years ago, I think it was in the 90s, there were 128 runners, cross-country race. I think it was in the early 90s, NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships. And as they set out on a 6.2 mile run, they were following a course that had been marked for them by the race officials. Toward the end of the race, one of the runners in the middle of the group realized that something was wrong. Mike Delveco of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed the turn. He said later, I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, this is the right way. He told an interviewer after the race, Delveco was right. But only four other runners followed him, of the 128 competitors. The rest continued on the shortcut, which allowed them to run a shorter distance and finish the race sooner. And in a, a widely criticized decision, the race officials allowed the abbreviated course to stand. Yeah, that's not, that's not just, is it? Um, and Mike Delvecco finished 123rd out of 128 he took the right course he followed the course he ran the race according to the rules and he finished 123rd out of 128 runners you know the world the world doesn't always reward staying on track but you and i are in a race and the course has been laid out follow god that's the course He's getting practical. Walk in love. Walk in the light. If you're going to stay the course, if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to walk in love. I'm going to have to walk in the light. And unlike the track officials there in the early 90s that ruled that those, the the, the main body of the pack who took the shortcut, they ruled you know what, our fault, we might have mismarked it, it wasn't as clear as it should have been, so we're going to let this group stand, and they're going to finish ahead of the group that followed the course. Friends, that's not going to happen in heaven someday when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to say, well, I know you grew up in America, and, and you lived during a different, different, difficult era, and I know that most of society was not walking in the light and Most of society wasn't walking in love and I understand that most people weren't following God And so we're going to reward them and you're not going to be rewarded. That's not going to happen We're all going to stand before him and we're going to receive the rewards that we The things that we did in this body whether they be good or whether they be evil Look at our text in ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse number 3. I'm going to read down through verse number 14 Verse 3, we'll start there in chapter 5. And you're going to notice right up front that there's language that is used here that is not uh, normally things that we talk about. But he's talking about walking in the light. Look at verse 3. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak by your word, by your Holy Spirit, to our hearts this morning. Father... I understand in our society today that there is a lot of selfishness and it shows up in so many different ways. We put ourselves first and and even within our local church and local churches, Father, even as believers, we call ourselves Christians, little Christ, followers of Christ, disciples and yet all of us in this room struggle with this idea of putting ourselves first giving in to what we feel like, what everybody else seems to be doing, and not walking in the light. Father, I pray that we as a congregation would say yes to your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that we would walk in the light and bring you honor and glory. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want to notice those two thoughts this morning in the time that we have. If we're going to walk in the light, there are really two things, two major thoughts that show up in these, this section of verses. First of all, we need to identify lust as the enemy. Another way I could say that is we need to identify our flesh as the enemy. And that goes for every single one of us in this room, including myself. Jeremiah described our hearts as deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he asked the question, who can know it? He went on to talk about how the Lord trieth our hearts and he knows us. He knows all things about us. But if we're going to walk in the light, we need to first of all identify lust as the enemy. And secondly, we need to understand who we are in the Lord. We need to identify lust as the enemy and we need to understand who we are in the Lord. Look at verse number three again. I'll read again down through verse number seven. And in these verses, we see that we have to identify lust or the flesh as the enemy. Uh, Look at verse number three again. He says, but fornication, and the word fornication is that Greek word porneia. We get the English word pornography from it. It has the idea of uh, sexual intercourse between unmarried people. But fornication and all uncleanness, uncleanness has the idea of impure thinking, thinking things that are morally wrong. It's one thing to enter into an inappropriate sexual relationship, it's another thing to think impure thoughts, but they're both named here. But fornication and all uncleanness, or covetousness, covetousness, how does that get lumped in here covetousness with fornication we're quick to say well fornication is wrong adultery is sin uncleanness wrong thinking no one would want to admit to wrong thinking covetousness really and fornication are two sides of the same coin the covetous person and the fornicator both try to take something that doesn't belong to them that's what's happening here And he's talking to the church, he's talking to you and to me, and he says, But fornication and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. It's not becoming of you. He calls us saints here. Remember, I've told you before, uh, Roman Catholicism for sainthood, you have to have a council and a panel, and after you've passed away, then they look at the body of work of your life and Uh, declare a person to be a saint. That is unbiblical. It's not found in Scripture. But the idea of being a saint is biblical, and a saint is someone who is saved. okay, Born again, who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who by faith has believed that Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his death and burial and resurrection is enough to take our sins away. That's a saint. And he says... This idea of fornication and uncleanness, wrong-thinking, covetousness, desiring, longing for something that does not belong to you. It has no business in your life as a child of God. He goes on in verse 4, neither filthiness. Filthiness is the idea of obscenity or uh, uh, vulgarity. It could be foul language. It could include taking God's name in vain. It it includes all those four-letter words, or talking about dirty things, using dirty language and dirty jokes. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Foolish talking, uh, this uh, comes from the Greek word morologia, logia logia word. We get our logia from that moro, we get our English word moron. So literally it could be spoken, uh, foolish talking is moron words. Stupidity. My children, our children don't know the word moron, do they, dear? No. It's biblical, but it's unbiblical, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, We're not to be foolish talking, uh, uh, moron words, flippant, careless words. You know, sometimes we don't know what to say. We say things that are just foolish. You know what I mean? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Just zip it, you know? Zip it, right? It's so hard. It's so hard. And so he's talking to believers. He says, this filthiness, that's dirty talking, foolish talking, or jesting. Nor jesting. What is the word jesting have? Yet? Cutting remarks. That's me saying things to cut you down so that I look better. Or you doing that to one another. Sometimes that finds its way into a marriage relationship. Well, pastor, that's how we communicate. <laughs> By slicing and dicing each other, one another. That's great for marriage. That's just wonderful. I'm being sarcastic there. It's not good. It's terrible. Now, it's not saying that there isn't a place for, for joking or humor. Okay? A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Laughter is a good thing. I hope you can joke with your spouse. I hope we ought to be able to uh, joke and, and, and laugh together as a church family. But sadly, and very quickly, we ought to be very careful of this. A simple uh, uh, humorous word can turn into something where we're starting to cut one another down. And it, and it comes, frankly, because we don't respect the other person. We respect ourselves more than we respect them. And, and so he actually talks about these things. And so he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. And we might look at that and say, what do you mean they're not convenient? They are very convenient. I remember going off to college as a freshman, and um, my parents had not allowed me to, although I can't say we never did it as uh, an as older brother with a sister and then two younger brothers. I can't stand here and say we never entered into those things, but parent, mom and dad didn't allow it. And so I can remember going off to Bible College, and being a part of the basketball team there, and uh, that was the way that was the way we all operated. Well, so the, for the first uh, semester, I was the butt of the jokes, and so, or along with a few other freshmen. But I quickly caught on to get out of that uh, track. I needed to start picking up where they operate the way they operated. And so I can remember. My tongue came up to speed quite quickly. I could turn just about anything back on them before they had even finished saying it. I can remember coming home and sitting down with my family, and and without thinking on my part, I was doing it to my sister Heather, and I was doing it to my brothers Nathan and Josh, and I was doing it to my parents, and I was the funny guy for a while. Everybody was laughing, and I remember my dad pulling me aside and saying, What's going on with your mouth? These things don't have... You, we might say, well, they're convenient. It's just, it comes naturally. Well, it's not convenient if we're trying to follow God. you, you connect that? It's convenient, it's natural if I want to follow my flesh in the world. But it's not convenient if I'm trying to follow God. And he says it that way in verse number 4 which are not convenient, but rather, instead of cutting others down and saying dirty things or, or speaking moron words, he says, give thanks. Give thanks. Verse 5, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, the word whoremonger has the idea of immoral sexual sin, or unclean person has the idea of impure thoughts and deeds and lusts, no whoremonger, nor unclean purchase person, nor covetous man. And here again, the Bible identifies a person who is overwhelmed with longing for something or for someone that God has not given to them. God identifies a covetous person as an idolater. When we think about an idolater, we think of somebody who's got a shrine in their house, you know, and there they are, you know, and the candles, and we think of that as an idolater. Or we think way back in Bible times uh, when, you know, they're uh, Molech or Ashtaroth, these false gods, or Baal worship, and they're sacrificing their children to these false gods, and, and we think, well, that's idolatry, and we live in modern time, and we don't struggle with idolatry at all. I submit to you that idolatry is at an all-time high, and we're doing it without the, those names, um, I've jokingly said before, if you want to find out what your idol is, just go back and look at your Google history. And you'll find that your idol changes sometimes. Our idols change. Um, we can turn a new set of golf clubs into an idol. We can turn a team an athletic team that's making a run into the playoffs into an idol. We're just dominating our thoughts. We can, we can certainly turn ourselves into an idol where we're consumed about ourselves. Years ago, we traveled with an ensemble, and we took this group of five around, and they would sing at different churches, and we had this soprano. She had a wonderful voice, and one day uh, we were driving to the next place. I think we were in upstate New York, and and a couple of the ensemble members were trying to talk to her and engage her in conversation, and she was like, and she would be like, "What? What? Oh, I couldn't hear you." And finally, she just said, "I'm sorry, guys. I just can't stop thinking about myself." <laughs> and we're like, "Okay. Wow. There it is. That's pretty obvious. Pow. You know. Do you see a problem with that? You know, she couldn't listen to anybody else. She couldn't hear anybody else. This was there was no smartphone in her hand in those days. It was just her and herself and her own thoughts. We can turn ourselves into idols." Uh, we can turn just about anything into idle. idol. We can turn a work project into an idol. And, you, you know, sometimes when we're under stress or we try to uh, alleviate that stress, and so uh, you might find that you, you, you tend toward a certain thing. Um, years ago, um, Cindy, Cindy said to me, she said, are you, are you under stress? I said, I don't, I don't know. Why? She said, because you're buying things. Yes, I am. The uh, what was it? Sue, Susan, our uh, mail lady down in Grand Blanc came to the door one day and she said uh, uh, something about your husband buying a lot of things. <laughs> I'm like, Susan, this is your employment. You stay out of this, you know. <laughs> you know, some people, they're, it's it's the god of purchasing. I, you know, I can't control this situation in my life, but I can control what I buy. It'll be here in Amazon Prime, two days. I got that under control, you know. We're going to stop there, but you know what? We can make a God out of just about anything, an idol out of just about anything, and it shows up in the area of covetousness. Are you satisfied with God? Are you satisfied with what he's provided for you? Are you satisfied with your station in life? Are you satisfied with the spouse that God has given to you? See, covetousness, looking at something else, someone else, not being content with what God has given to me. Covetousness, God says, is idolatry. And it's a work of the flesh. And what he's telling us here in verse number 5, what he's telling the church at Ephesus is, For this ye know, you already know this that no whoremonger or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And what he's really telling the church at Ephesus is you shouldn't be living like this because you're a child of God. You're a saint. You, have been in, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God to guide you. You have Christ living in you. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And the people who live like this, the people whose lives are characterized by this, this sexual immorality, this tongue that's out of control, uh, this covetous nature, always running around looking for another God to try to fill the void that only God can fulfill. What he's saying is, don't you know, church, that these are the people who are lost? They don't have Christ. Why would you live your life that, that way? And he says in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. Let, don't let anybody tell you any differently. Vain words, empty words. Don't let somebody come to you and say, oh, well, you know what, we, you know, everybody struggles and so, you know, excusing the sin. Don't let somebody come and tell you that. Don't let somebody come and tell you, well, you know what, you can be dominated by sin your entire life, and you know what, as long as your mom tells you you prayed a prayer when you were little, or as long as your dad tells you you walked an aisle at some point, then you're saved. Don't let somebody tell you that. Don't be deceived. Don't think that you're a child of God who, who, who doesn't, if you don't, have the light. And that's what he's saying. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. These things, the things in verse 3 and the things in verse 4 and the things in verse 5, these are the things that characterize the person who is unsaved. And he says, these are the things, for these reasons cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And he says in verse 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't be a partner with them. Don't follow along with them. Identify lust as the enemy. You know, there's more than one enemy for the child of God than just the devil. Yes, he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's more than the enemy of the devil. There's the world. There's worldliness. You know, uh, a cross is a picture of selflessness. Christ told us, take up your cross and follow me. Selflessness. Deny yourself and follow me. It's the mark of a Christian. Self-denial. It's not all that easy, is it? You try not to drink much pop. Yesterday, no, Friday, I had a glass of Coke. There, I got that off my chest. Self-denial. You know what got me was when the Coke hit the ice. In somebody else's cup. <sighs> Coca Cola. Yeah, that's the noise. Yeah, that's the sound. Self denial. You know, he's naming things. He's naming fornication, sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage. Uh, he's naming uh, wrong thoughts. You say, well, I've not entered into that, sex outside of marriage, or I'm not in that. What about in your thinking? Filthiness in Your mind, can you say no to you? Do you say no to you when you're with a group at, at school and they're heading down the wrong path and their lip and their mouth and they're saying things that aren't right? Can you say no? Can you stand for righteousness? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in the flesh? You know. It, it's very common in our day, and it's not just in our day, unsaved people, people who do not have Christ living within them, have always walked in the flesh. Right? That's, all, that's the only option they have. They're lost. Christ doesn't live within them. And, and we all remember in this room, that's who we used to be too. But Paul's saying that's not who you are anymore. Don't be a partaker with them. Don't do it. Don't do it. We have to identify lust as the enemy. Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The Apostle Paul said that. He said, I know that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. If that's true for the Apostle Paul, it's true for you and for me as well. Romans 8 and verse 8, he said, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, speaking about people who are lost, who, who do not have Christ living within them. They have flesh like you and I have flesh, but what they don't have is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 13, he says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. You're going to suffer destruction. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, choose to say yes to the Spirit and say no to the flesh, ye shall live. You want to live a life that's enjoyable? You want to li- and I don't just mean hunky dory and everything's perfect as far as. Uh, and there's never any hardships. If you want to live a life of joy, satisfaction, a life that is pleasing to God, say yes to the Holy Spirit. Because everything else over here, chasing the flesh, trying to appease the flesh, you will never, and I will never, never, never satisfy the flesh. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Just yesterday, Tori and I were going to get some gasoline, and she asked me this question. She's asked, to me, asked it of me several times now. Apparently, I'm not giving a good enough answer. And she said, Daddy, how can a person know that they're saved? I mean, how do you know it? You no, know, a good answer is found in the verse I just read to you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Are you you being led by the Spirit of God as a husband in your marriage? Are you being led by the Spirit of God when it comes to being a wife in your marriage? Well, I'm a member of Trinity Baptist Church. That's not good enough. I've been a Baptist my whole life. That is not good enough. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Now, I'm not saying, and the truth is, and we all know this to be true, sometimes, and the Bible tells us, we can quench the Spirit. We can say no to him. We can grieve him. You and I as believers can walk in the flesh, but it ought to be an occasional thing, and it ought to be something that's becoming less and less as we grow older and older in this life. It ought not be the norm. My question, again, to you is, do you, are you following the Spirit of God? Because if you are, it's a sign that you are a child of God. In Galatians 5.17, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives within us And our flesh and the Spirit of God who lives within us are in opposition to one another. Listen to what he says, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's a battle there. Do you ever sense that battle? Do you ever find yourself in a battle within your spirit, within your physical body? You know, you know friend, if there's no battle going on, you have a problem. An unsafe person doesn't have a battle. I looked, I looked. I took, I took. I did what was best for me. Isn't that what everybody else is doing? Christ is our example. He did not do what was best for himself. He did what was best for you and for me. He was selfless. We're to be Christians, little Christ. Remember the cross. It's a picture of self-denial. Self-denial ought to be a part of every one of our lives. Well, I just like to eat. You ought to show some self-denial. Well, I just have to have that drink. There ought to be some self-denial. Well, I just, that's just the way I am. I have to look. That's just who I am. I look and I, I enjoy and that's what I do some self-denial if there's no battle in your soul over looking and lusting and coveting if there's no conviction in your heart friend there is a problem and it very well may be that you are not a child of God at all and that's something that you have to work out between you and God In Galatians 6 and verse 8, he says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. Why would a believer do that? Well, it's it's the easy road. It's easy. Everybody else is doing it. But if I'm going to sow to my flesh, and it's planting time, right? No one's harvesting right now for the most part, except, except for the farmer whose field got too wet in the fall. Fast, but we're we're putting those seeds in the ground an inch, two inches, three inches deep, and we're planting with the idea that it's going to come forth and it's going to produce fruit. If I sow to the flesh, if I plant to the flesh, then I am going to reap destruction. And that's what he says. Paul says to the Galatian church: He that soweth to the Spirit, though, shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. That's what I want in my marriage. That's what I want in my children. That's what I want in my family. That's what I want for Trinity Baptist Church. I want us to be sowing to the Spirit. You know, if we would begin to do that, wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I as a church family, as individuals, would, would, would sow to the Spirit, begin planting, so you don't see anything right away. But you'll reap life everlasting. We would reap, as a congregation, life everlasting. Christ would be seen to all who are around But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit uh, uh, reap life everlasting. And then he says this, in that context, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Sowing to the Spirit. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do you know that you and I can get tired sowing to the Spirit? It can get get wearisome. It's not easy. To sow to the Spirit means I have to say no to the flesh. No, I'm not going to drink that. No, I'm not going to eat that. No, I'm not going to look at that. No, in my relationship with my spouse, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to make those cutting remarks that, boy, they're right there under the surface. I'm not going to respond that way to my children. I'm going to discipline them the right way and honor the Lord. No, I'm not going to give in to the flesh, well, I'm tired and so I can't show up. No, I'm going to say no to the flesh. I'm going to say yes to the Spirit of God. First John two sixteen says, "For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world." Listen to me, lustly, lustful, fleshly living is worldliness. Some years ago, I was at a church out in the Delmarva Peninsula. There was a young pastor then. He's younger. He was younger then. He was older than me, but younger than I am now. And uh, he hadn't been pastoring that church for more than two years. And I remember I was there as an evangelist to hold a week-long meeting with he in that church. And he was talking to me, and I was younger than him, and so I think he thought he would find an advocate in me. And he said, you know, uh, Seth, he said, I came here under the agreement that this this would be the standard for music in this church. He said, but I've since learned that this other music is okay. And I'm not even going to get into the details. I'm just giving you the overview. He said, I've since come to the understanding that this other music is okay and would be wonderful for this church. And he said, so I'm leading the church that direction. And, uh, you know, he had different reasons for doing that. Do you have reasons for why you listen to what you listen to? Other than you just crave it and feel like it. Are you listening to what you listen to because... God is pleased with it? Or just because everybody else listens to it? And I can remember he and I talked about these things, and, 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 uh, and we talked about some of the, you know, when it comes to your life, everything that you and I do, it really does boil down to, is this of my flesh, or is this the Holy Spirit of God leading me in a certain direction? You know, he has a will about the music you and I listen to. The Holy Spirit has a will about the things that you and I say. He has a will about what we do, what we look at, where we go, how we say the things that we say. So the real question is, am I being selfless and saying no to the flesh and saying yes to the Spirit, take my life, use it for your glory, or am I being selfish saying, yeah, right, I'm not going there, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. We have to identify lust as the enemy. And we need to understand God's command. Look back at verse number three. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. We've looked at those words in detail. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient if you're going to follow God, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Do we understand what he's saying here? There are some things in this world that a child of God should not even think about. And that's what he's saying. He says, not be once named among you as becometh saints. Back in verse number three, the latter part. What he's really saying is these things shouldn't even be named. You shouldn't shouldn't be familiar with these things. I remember reading about a youth pastor who in an effort to educate his young people about the sin of pornography began to investigate pornography, and himself ended up falling into that very thing. The statistics today are troubling when it comes to that. Growing up, when I would exit the truck on, I think it's up, Toward Mount Morris I don't remember the name what road it is but there's a place of ill repute at that exit and uh, I can remember having to look the other way but if I was going to look at something like that I had to go to a place like that for the most part If I was going to look at something like that I would have had to gone have gone to a place like that today today How many of us in this room have smartphones with us right here in this auditorium? How many of the smartphones that are in this auditorium have showed their owner pornographic images on that computer that are in this auditorium right here, right now? Some of you may even be using that phone as your Bible this morning. But you also use it to look at things that are literally destroying your soul, Peter says. It's destroying your soul. You need to understand God's command. God abhors the work of our flesh. That's what he's telling us in verses 3 and 4. He abhors the work of our flesh. In Paul's day, when Paul was writing to this, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus is called that. We call it that because they were Ephesians. These were people who lived in the city of Ephesus. Do you remember the temple that was in Ephesus? A pagan, a a, a temple to pagan gods. It was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. Huge, beautiful edifice, beautiful building. Um, It was pagan idol worship. And historians record that in the temple of Artemis, or the temple of Diana, uh, it really was a place where men would go to have sexual relationships with prostitutes. And they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prostitutes in that temple of false gods. So when I I tell you that to say, um, lest we sit here and think, well, the people in Ephesus don't know what we go through today. No, no, they had the same flesh that you and I have. And in Paul's day, as he wrote to these believers, these people who had you they used to live in darkness and not just live in darkness, but Paul tells us in this passage, you were darkness. And so were we. We didn't just used to live in darkness, we were darkness, we were dead. We were aliens from God by wicked works. We were rebels we were very happy with where we were until God, by God the Father, drew us to himself and revealed the light of the gospel and opened our eyes that we could see. And then we began to see what who, and who we really were. But in Paul's day, these people, sexual promiscuity was the norm. It really seems as though most people indulged in immorality. I don't know if that's 51% or 90%, but most people did. It was an accepted lifestyle. Many, if not most, of the people that Paul led to Christ had grown up in an atmosphere where it was common for a man to keep a mistress. It was common for a man to frequent an immoral place like the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. It was normal for them to seek to gratify their flesh on a casual basis, and these practices were considered natural. They weren't considered by the Ephesians to be immoral. And yet, the Holy Spirit of God instructs us that practices and talk like this in verses 3 and 4 should not even be mentioned by a believer of God. It shouldn't be talked about, it's not funny. Well, you know, it's, it's locker room talk. You know, guys. No, it's not okay. Well, it's shop talk, Pastor Ferguson. I don't have the privilege of coming to church every day for work. But in the shop, this is the way we talk. No, not a child of God. Don't go back to the wicked lust of your flesh, is what Paul's saying. Are you immoral in your walk? I'm not trying to guilt you here this morning, but, but lest we all walk out these doors and think that it's okay to look at pornographic images, or it's okay to look and lust after another man's wife, or for that matter, ladies, to look and the lust after another man's husband, or, or to, and, and from the statistics that I read, more and more ladies or women are starting to look at pornographic images. It's not okay. And really what it boils down to is it's not a matter of us saying, well, is that an immoral image? Should I look at that? Can I look at that? Can I watch that show on television and watch them cut each other down? And laugh at it? Can I watch that show and watch that, though that man and woman or whatever enter into some sort of immoral immor- pastor? Is it okay for me to watch that? No, it's not okay. What would you have me say as I stand before you? Should I say to you that it's okay? Should I stand here and say, let's all go and watch whatever in the world we feel like? Let's all go listen to whatever in the world we feel like. The cross behind me says different. The Lord Jesus Christ, who you and I say that we love, and we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves Christ followers, we we all admit that we used to be sinners in bondage to sin unable to do anything but sin and we are so glad we're not in that situation anymore and that we are now in the light in Christ indwelt by his Holy Spirit should then we go back to living and looking and following the lust of the flesh the way we lived for so many years and I dare say the answer to that based upon the word of God is a resounding no no in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter told the believers there he said dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts and then he says which war against the soul To look at pornography is to destroy your own soul. It really is. You're destroying your soul. God gives us an antidote for our fleshly speech. It's in verse number four, the latter part. Look there. He says, but rather giving of thanks. Instead of living to pleasure yourself, your flesh, the lust of your flesh, instead of living to say things that are filthy and uh, moron words and jesting, which are not convenient if you're going to follow God, he says, but rather give thanks. He really gives us an antidote. If you want to overcome the flesh, then do what the Spirit says to do. And, I, and you can boil that down to an everyday, moment-by-moment life. And you might, you might look at it this way within your, your marriage relationship. Uh, We're all people. We're all human. And and yes, even those of us who are born again and dwelt by the Spirit of God and he's leading us in the right way, it's possible for me to respond to my wife in a fleshly way, in a wrong way. It's possible for her to respond to me in a fleshly way. And it's really easy, by the way, when one spouse is in the flesh, it's really easy to respond in like manner, isn't it? It's just easy. That's the natural way, but it's not convenient if you're going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. But let's take an example like that for just a moment. Let's say uh, a husband is not walking the Spirit. You know, Nothing's working right in the barn, and all he can see is the negative in life. And frankly, at that point, he is doing nothing but walking the flesh, coveting everything else from the, the next-door the next neighbor's John Deere to the other neighbor's pole barn to whatever in the world else. He's not satisfied with a, a single thing in his life at that moment. He comes storming in the house with his boots on. Okay, Now, you as a wife have a decision to make right there. He knows boots in the house are against the rule and actually part of the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. Okay, He knows it offends you, but you know by looking at him, he doesn't care. And why not? Because he's a selfish fool at that moment, sowing to the flesh. But you as a wife can walk in the Spirit. You can watch him stomp by with his boots. You can sweep up the mud. And you can say, Lord, give me strength right now. I'm going to honor my husband, even though he's not honorable right now. I'm going to respect my husband, even though he doesn't deserve respect right now. You know, that could be true for a young person at school uh, maybe like me, you 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 play a little play a little basketball. You're on an athletic team. You know, sometimes on the athletic field, it's been said you can tell more about a person on an athletic field in five minutes than you can tell about him in the classroom over like five years. It comes out in a hurry. And so you 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 play with people, and you hear so-called Christians use language that they ought not use. And, and maybe not well coaches around, but in the locker room, there's a couple guys and they're always pushing the envelope. And boy, they love to be funny. And frankly, they're the scorner, they're the fool of the Bible and Proverbs. They're not honorable, they're flesh driven, and they're living to promote themselves all the time. You're going to have to make a choice Are you going to honor God? Are you going to say yes to the Spirit of God? Are you going to please God? Or are you going to please that person? Are you going to please yourself? See, God abhors the works of our flesh. He gives us an antidote for our fleshly speech, and it's thanksgiving. It really is saying yes to the Spirit of God. The antidote for the flesh is to say yes to the Spirit of God. He lives within you, friend. When you received Christ, the Spirit of God took up residence in your, in your being. God made you and me for that indwelling of the Spirit of God. When you got saved, he took up resident in, residence in you. He goes with you every place you go. He's inside of you now. He'll be inside of you when you leave here and go to the restaurant and wait in line. He'll be inside of you next week when you're waiting in line at the restaurant on Mother's Day. He'll be inside of you throughout this week, right? Wherever you go, he goes. And he leads you and he guides you and he consoles you and he comforts you and he encourages you and he convicts you. And he's working in you to bring glory to God the Father in you who used to be a sinner, dead in sins, a slave to sin. He works in you and me to bring glory and honor to God. And so you and I, our responsibility is to say yes to the Spirit of God. One more thought in verse 5. God emphasizes the penalty for sin, and I mentioned it briefly, but in verse 5 he says, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know this already. You know this. People who are dead in sins, who are trapped by that sin, they are on their way to hell for all of eternity. They don't have to go there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But they're living their life in their sin. They're trapped in their sin. And they may say, no, no, I'm not, Seth. I'm living my life for me. I'm doing what I want. No, you're not. You are a slave to sin and you are doing the will of your heavenly your, not heavenly but you 're doing the will of your father, which is the, the bible says the devil it 's not your will you 're not living for you you 're living for him and he, and he will be happy and gleeful when you plunge into the pit of hell for all of eternity, but friend, God loved the world and he loved your soul and my soul so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sin. He died in our place so that we could be saved from sin so we could live under righteousness. And so don't weaken the command of God. Don't weaken the command of God. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words. Don't let anybody tell you that, you know what, you just go out and live for yourself. Enjoy your time. This is, this is your time to live for you. Don't believe that. Don't believe that it's okay. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Do you know that, that even a child of God, a child of God who falls into one of these sins, and it happens on occasion more than we'd probably like to admit in this room, But when a child of God falls into these sins, and maybe as we read them and looked at them this morning, you are under intense conviction by the Spirit of God because you're living there. When a believer falls into these sins, God does not pour out his wrath upon that child, his child. He chastens his child as many times as necessary. But he does it in love to bring that child, to bring that child of his back on course, to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to Almighty God. Don't be a partaker with the folks who are going to hell for all of eternity. Don't be a partaker with them. I'll close with this. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 15, Joshua, who was the leader of Israel at that time, Moses had died, he had passed away. Joshua was a leader of Israel, and he makes the statement uh, for all who are around him to hear as the head of his home. Joshua makes this statement. Now remember the nation of Israel, they were moving into the promised land, but there were there were other false gods there. There were false gods that they had left back in Egypt many years earlier. Uh, There were ungodly people in the promised land. And Joshua, as the head of his home, made this statement. He said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, that's a unique way to put that. If you think it's evil or wrong a bad decision to serve God. He says this, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I'm speaking to some men in this room here this morning for just a moment. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were some men in this room here this morning who made the decision, you know, I'm not going to serve the God, the false God of this flesh that is never satisfied no matter what I throw at him. I can buy whatever I long for and it never is enough. I can look and look and look and it's never enough. I'm not going to serve the God of this flesh anymore. I'm going to serve the Lord I'm going to do his will. And that's what a servant does. I am going to do the will of God. And how can I do that? By saying yes to the Spirit of God. If you're a child of God, he lives within you. Say yes to the Spirit of God. Some of us are not in the discipline of saying yes to the Spirit of God. But maybe this morning there are many of us who would say, God, would you please forgive me for living for myself? And God, I am going to live for you. And I'm going to say yes to your word and to your spirit as you guide me. And it would be a wonderful thing if some men in this room would start being the leaders of their homes and saying yes to the Spirit of God. You know, some of us as men might say, I'm not much of a leader. You would be if you followed the Spirit of God. You would be. You don't have to be give great speeches in family meetings to be a leader in the home. You can be quiet. You can be stayed. You don't have to say a lot of words at all. Start following the Spirit of God. And ladies, if your husband chooses to do that, then you follow, you follow him as he follows the Spirit of God. And if your husband does not do that, you follow the Spirit of God. You follow the Spirit of God. Young people, if your parents do not follow the Spirit of God, you follow the Spirit of God. You follow the Word of God. Let's all stand to our feet and take our hymnals 487, hymn number 487. We're going to sing the hymn 487, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. And I encourage you this morning, as God has led you and as He's prompting in your heart, I'd encourage you this morning, follow Him now. Don't expect to follow Him later if you're not willing to follow Him now. And maybe that would mean you sit in your seat and you pray, or maybe you want to come and kneel at the front, or maybe you want to stand where you're at and sing out this song with All of your heart is a prayer unto the Lord, but let's begin to follow him now. 487.